living, does that ever tire out your vocal cords? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, that's the great thing about this is, you know, I did, you know, 25 minutes on Wednesday and I did, you know, a couple of podcasts yesterday, but I didn't do any shows. So I just got to chill last night. I really slept too much, you know, because I'm on Central Time. So I fly here and then I stay up all day and I was basically up for 23 hours. And then I slept, but I felt like I really needed to catch up on sleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. and then I leave tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, right when you get used to everything. Yeah. And you're I'm ready. There. I'm ready to go. Cool. I like coming to California, but I don't, I don't know. I'm not that into LA. I don't care for LA either. Yeah. I lived down here for about six months and uh, that was good. Yeah. That was enough. Yeah, it's a mess out here. I mean, I was walking the streets today and it's like, as you get on down to where Jimmy Kimmel's at, it's like, it gets a little better. Yeah. But this area, I'm like, this is LA? Right. But I was, you know, I'm staying at the W and I was on top of the W and on the roof yesterday and from the roof yeah i mean it's like oh what a beautiful place <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> well about 10 minutes before you came in here did you hear all the sirens up and down the street no i was talking to my dad on the phone there's a bunch of sirens he's like you're being chased out there and like 15 swat cars like big wow. armored tank truck looking things are going down the street i'm like wow. i think they got far enough away i think i'm good here but yeah, they made some kind of announcement in my hotel last night, like over the intercom of the hotel, which comes into your room. Oh, weird. Just some weird thing. I feel like if there's ever a fire in a hotel, that I'll die in that fire because I've been in many hotels where the fire alarm goes off and I'm just like, I'm like, I'm in my head, I'm like, oh, fix it, get it. You know, I just assume <laughs> it's broken, not that there's a fire. Yeah, yeah. That happened in college sometimes. Like, oh, yeah. I'm going to go off and it's like, you get in trouble. They come and see that you're in your room. And even if it's a drill, you got to oh, get out. Oh, we set it off one time on accident with a fog machine. Oh, yeah. And then we all got evacuated out to the quad. And we're looking up in the window and we knew there was no fire. It was our fog machine. And, uh, we're like, please don't go in our room. Please, don't. We, we're looking through the window, and sure enough, you see the the police go into our room and find the fog machine. And it turned out okay, but we just like watched it in slow motion. We're going to jail, uh, yeah, tonight, everybody. <laughs> Over a fog machine. Yeah, but, but we, luckily you didn't. Yeah, we did not. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Dusty Slay, thanks for doing Nick's Vancast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Wonderful. We're here in LA. Netflix is a joke festival. Yeah. Dusty Slay and Netflix just synonymous now. Yeah, big deal. Yeah, I mean, yesterday <laughs> I was doing a lot of Netflix uh, as a joke radio stuff for uh, Sirius XM, and uh, yeah, feels good. Feels like I'm uh, really in the Netflix club. That's amazing. That's gotta yeah. feel great. It does feel good. Yeah, and we got a helicopter over us now, so something's really going. Yeah, down. it's pretty constant around here. That's the thing about the van cast. You get a lot of ambient noise, but it's just part of the experience now. Yeah, yeah we're in a van. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to be off in the wilderness to get no sound. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've done anything too far out. Maybe a one or two, but do we wait? Do we go? Well, this is a nice van, though. <laughs> this is a really nice van. Thank you. You got uh, the wood trim in here. Yeah. It really gives it a good feel. Can you, you can kind of smell it sometimes. Yeah. You got the flannel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is really the the look. I was like, I kind of was tired of the flannel. Then I started the podcast, and I'm like, and now it's the backdrop. I can't change that. Yeah, this um, is a nice bed. Everybody that I've ever known that lives in a van, the the bed is seems like pretty weak every no. time. Yeah, this is a queen size bed, I guess. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't mail. I didn't build any of this myself. Just saying. Okay. <laughs> I'm not handy like that. But um, oh, I wanted to ask. Like now that we're now we're on the air. Yeah, the helicopter's not going away. That's not going away either. Sorry, everybody. But um, 
Alec Parent, your friend of yours, comedian, yeah. also living in his van. Well, I don't live in my van. I'm a phony. He does it legit, right? Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, you know, he opens for me a lot, and it's like, uh, it's, a, it's a big selling point. A lot of clubs nowadays don't want to put um, comics in hotels, uh -huh. like, like features, you know, people opening for me. So he can just roll out in the van and just stay in the van. Actually, we, we stayed in a, I did a club uh, in Lowell, Arkansas, and the, the comedy condo was a cabin. And it's decent for the headliner, but for the feature, it's a pretty bad room. Mm. And he just was like, I'll just stay in the van. <laughs> so when you choose the van over the place they provided for you to stay, you know it's bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've stayed there many times, um, but um, uh, I also don't have a van out there to live in. Yeah. Would you, would you consider it? I feel like it'd be cool to travel and do comedy and I always and... wanted to do something like this <laughs> yeah I think this is great I mean now I'm married I have a kid I don't think they want to do that yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I want to do that with my wife and baby sure. but this is great I do think at some point even now I might like to do this yeah. just even for comedy I know that you, you get the tour bus tour bus is nice and the big benefit of a tour bus I think is that you have somebody drive you yes but I think this would be really great. I mean, even if it was like me and my wife just on a road trip, we could take turns driving. Yeah. I think it'd be great. And this van, this is like, what is this? A, uh, what do they call this kind of van? Oh, the type it is? A ProMaster. Oh, Ram okay. ProMaster. Okay. This is not what I'm thinking. But they have Sprinter vans. Sprinter vans. Yeah, yeah. Those are even more expensive. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. But, but this is nice. It's very you. nice. Thank you. But I did not dress for for Van Life podcast though. I, I wore yeah. a, a long sleeve shirt here. <laughs> yeah, and, I'm so uh, sorry. And I wore, I, it's like California weather gets to me because it'll be hot. Yeah. One, like this morning, I went for a walk at like 7 a.m. and I was like, it's kind of chilly out here today. And Changes now, so. Yeah, so it changes quick, and I'm from Santa Cruz. Have you been there before? I don't think so. It's up in the. It's like an hour and a half south of San Francisco, okay. and it can get pretty chilly. It's. I'm from like where the redwoods are and stuff. Oh so yeah. You got the beach 15 minutes away, then we're in the redwoods. Yeah. I liked growing up there, but. Well, California seems so nice, but then, you know, there are parts that you go to that are not that nice. Yes. Uh, like San Francisco, I was there. They had very weird weather. Mm -hmm. Like in the daytime, it was super hot. At night, it was actually cold. Yes. They call it Carl the Fog rolls in. Okay. They have a name for him. <laughs> and then it gets cold. Yeah. You go to like a Giants game and there's stadiums on the waterfront. Yeah. And the wind just hits you all night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah. And then driving from Santa Cruz or San Francisco area down to here, you do Highway 5 for six, seven hours and it's just flat and brown and... Have you been to like Yosemite? There are really cool spots out here. No, I never do the parks. Yeah. You know, I would like to see them, but I'm also like, I get to a, a, a city and I'm like, I could just, I could go see things or I could just stay in my hotel. Yeah. And then a lot of times I just pick staying in the hotel. We got, and I know, never regret it. You're working, right? And you got to rest yeah, up. And... It, that's what happens, right? I try to go do things and then I'm like, oh, I feel all worn out. And I'm like, oh, now I got to go back. Now I actually have to go do work. I think if I were working in the daytime at night, I could be like, all right, let's go do some stuff. Right. But yes, getting back to the Netflix club. Yes. It's amazing that you're doing all this awesome stuff. Dang helicopter, right when I want to talk to you about Netflix. <laughs> so the like intro to Netflix was the stand-ups, would you say? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, I have, uh, you know, there's a, a friend of mine. She works for Netflix as a joke radio. And I met her doing the Bridgetown Comedy Festival in Portland a few years ago. And I've done various things with Netflix is a joke, which is, I don't know, they have some weird names. Right, Netflix is a joke. It's hard to say every time. Netflix right. is a joke radio. <laughs> and it also seems like I'm making fun of them. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a joke account one yeah. time at the very beginning. Yeah. But I, so I, I had done some various things. I recorded a thing for SiriusXM that gets played, you know, on the Netflix is a joke radio station. And then I did interviews with uh, Fortune Feimster and Tom Papa on their podcast that's on Netflix is a joke radio. Uh, but yeah, the stand-ups is my first time actually being on you know, on the platform. Yeah. On the big platform. It's an incredible episode. Crazy, awesome set. Thank you. You're hilarious. Well, thank you. That's something that I worked on that set for years. And then a lot of those jokes I wasn't even doing anymore. But I was like, I like those jokes. And I feel like they never really got good representation on a big platform. Mm. Like I did Jimmy Kimmel in 2018. And I did a lot of my trailer park jokes. And I just had prepared for Jimmy Kimmel in all the wrong way. I had no idea how to prepare for a late night, and I did it all wrong. Um, so, you know, basically I would, I would practice the set in the middle of a longer set that I'm doing at clubs. So when I got to Jimmy Kimmel, I had never opened with those jokes before. So, you know, they were crushing on the road middle of a set. But opening, I had never done it. So when I came out and opened, it didn't hit the way it had been hitting. So it took me the whole set to really, uh, you know, really make it, you know, make people laugh. So I didn't bomb, but it wasn't the good representation that those jokes deserved. That helicopter is like right above us. I think there's probably something crazy going on. I'm yeah. a little worried about this I mean, town. There, I mean, there's some <laughs> wild stuff happening. That's what I thought last night when I was in my hotel and they made some announcement over the intercom. I was like, and then like, I'm on the 10th floor. All the Netflix parties are on the 12th floor. I don't have much interest in parties. Uh, I went to the one on Wednesday, but I felt like they had like a drum circle up there. Like they were just <laughs> banging on the floor. <laughs> and I even felt like the 11th floor got into it at one point. I mean, it was just stacked, banging. And then once that was gone, then there was announcements. I was like, I don't know if this is a band or if there's chaos going on in the hotel. Yeah. But I'm not leaving the room. <laughs> Find out what it is. Not a good enough drum circle. No. No, and then I bought some, you know, some CBD from a, from a shop here in town, and that sent me on a wild ride. Okay. And uh, so I was just trying to get sleep. Yeah. And I felt like it was just coming in waves. What a California experience this time I around. I know, I know. <laughs> for those late night uh, sets, is it also difficult because you're curating content for like a short time it's like five minutes sometimes right yeah i mean it is hard but it's like now i having learned that from the first experience now i have a better idea of how to prepare for it you know one is you know you just try to get those short sets if you can but that helps when you have some status in comedy like once you've you gotten yourself to a level where you can go hey can i you know come to the club and work out this five minutes it's easier after you have a few under your belt than you know when you don't yeah, I mean, you just, I just open. I, when I when I go on, if I'm doing a late night and I know that I'm doing a late night in a couple of weeks, when I go on the road, every set that I do, I'll just open with my late night set. Oh, that's smart. So that way I'm like, I know how it opens and I know how to, you know, and that way if I come out over and over again and I don't get laughs, then I'm like, all right, I can't open that way. 
Okay. You know, interesting. So you're really figuring it out as yeah, you, you just, go around. And it can be hard because you, uh, you know, you come out with what you're saying is your best five minutes. Mm hmm. And then you got to follow your own best five minutes. That's crazy. So you do, I do an hour on stage. So I'm like coming out with the heat. And then I got a 55 minutes left to follow myself. I've seen you. You do a lot of heat. You got a lot of heat. Yeah, I feel good. I'm in a good place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Comedy, and this isn't a comedy podcast per se. I've been talking to a lot of comedians lately, and I think it's fun. And I was telling uh, Todd Glass, and I was like, I feel like comedians are just really compassionate people. Like, as I, that's my perception. It's your job to make people laugh and have a good time. Um, and it's such a dynamic career because you do late nights, you do clubs, you do different places on TV. How do you prepare for such a dynamic career like that? Well, I just try to write jokes that I think will work in any, uh, any space, okay. you know, for any crowd. But it's okay. like, yeah, if you're doing something, you know, if I'm doing a corporate, I got like about seven minutes of weed jokes now. So I'm like, if I'm doing a corporate event, maybe I don't open with seven minutes of weed jokes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Feel it out a little bit. And I'll ask some questions with the event. Like, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? Mm -hmm. None of my stuff is dirty, but you know, I got a, I got a few edgier things in my set right now. Not, not edgy for anybody else, but edgy for me. Okay. You know what I mean? Like it's not that edgy, but for what I'm usually doing, it's a bit, you know, just, you know, uh, I don't even talk about sex, but the word sex is in the joke, Okay. you know? And I'm like, I'm not even that clean of a person, right? Like I don't, I cuss all the time in my real life. I try not to, but I do. But on stage, I just try to have a, a respectful set that because I had people come up to me before and they're like, thanks for having a tiny type of show I can bring my kids to. Now, these are grown kids. I don't mean small kids, but they're like, I can bring my kids to and not be embarrassed. Okay. You know, or people bring their moms or dads to my show and it's comedy they can all get into. And that's what I want. I mean, there's nothing worse than if you're sitting around with your family and you're like, oh, I want to show you this great comic, but like you're desensitized to how filthy it is. <laughs> and so then you show your dad and you, as they're saying things, you're like, oh, gosh, yeah, yeah. this was the wrong thing. And it's like, you know, like Tom Segura on his latest special, I was watching it with my wife and it's like, he had a whole thing about like banging your mom or something. <laughs> and I was like, this would be the wrong thing for me and my mom to watch. Oh yeah. 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 My parents, I always, I'm like listening real quiet before I show them. I'm like, okay, I can show. Nope. I can't show them anymore. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I just want to have the kind of comedy that you can show, but also that you can enjoy, right? There's plenty of comedy that your parents would enjoy. There's plenty of comedy that you would enjoy, but how much comedy for people is there that they can enjoy the same way their parents can? Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, cause sometimes if it's super clean, it's cheesy. Mm, okay. You know, I mean, I know a lot of clean comics that aren't, but there are a lot of clean comics that's like, okay, that's cheesy. Because it's like, I don't think about writing clean. I just think about, all right, I'm not going to write dirty, if that mm, makes sense. Sure. I'm not like, oh, let's write a clean joke. Yeah. But if I have an idea, I go, all right, well, this is a little dirty. What can I change to where I still have this joke, but it is more palatable? Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Can you reach more people too yeah. that way? I had uh, somebody leave a review on this podcast and they said, I came here to listen to this one specific episode and I, I'd like dip out the volume when people cuss. Yeah. And I, I don't care if people cuss. I just, the same thing. It's like if you're listening with your mom in the car and it's like, oh, 
It's just like, you know, yeah. you don't want to have them be like, oh, I got to change it. You got a kid in the back or whatever. Um, and so they left a comment like, came here to listen to this one episode and the cutting out of the cuss words was just annoying. I couldn't get through it. And I'm like, well, oh. that's all right. That's oh. the best, worst review. Yeah, life's <laughs> so hard, isn't it? Oh, I can't hear the cuss words. <laughs> it's like, really? That's not a bad one-star review for me. <laughs> yeah, life's so hard for people. Oh, I just want to hear some cussing. <laughs> like, you can't turn, like, that's what, I, I've had people react as if uh, being clean is like a thing that everybody's trying to do. And I'm like, no, everything's dirty. Mm -hmm everything's edgy, everything's over the top. That's why I like doing comedy this way. It's like, there's there's no longer any shock value. Like, like trying to be a shock comic is impossible. Like what's shocking oh, anymore? Interesting. You know, yeah. we, we have everything, nothing's shocking anymore. Everything on TV is, yeah. Yeah. You get desensitized and then, yeah. Yeah, I have uh, wool socks. I'm drinking a hot tea. I feel like I'm going to stink this place up. Do you want to take your socks off? No, no, I feel great, <laughs> but I'm hot. Do you want uh, a cold drink? Yeah, maybe I will. I turned down the water, but maybe I will take Bad one. Call. I could just uh, go Yeah, ahead. grab whatever you like. Um, because, is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I was at um, Burke Kreischer last night at the Greek. Oh, yeah. And so I'm looking at that stadium arena whatever you call it and it's like i can imagine again i'm not a comedian that the preparation for that when you take into consideration things like crowd work for example when you're looking at six thousand people in front of you has got to be different than when you got a 200 300 room i don't know yeah i mean i've you know i've done a few rooms i opened for jeff foxworthy at the the fox theater in atlanta and that was 4500 people wow uh, i do the um the opry no, maybe it was 6,000 people at the Fox because I do the Opry and it's 4,400 people. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, I, I just think that you can reach a place where you, where you do enough things like that to where you don't even really think about it. I mean, I guess each time you do a new venue with more things, I, I guess you would think about it. But it just, I think that if you, if they're there to see you, it really doesn't matter how many people are there. It's like, this is really great. Yeah. Even if it's 20 people, if they're all there to see you, it can be really fun. That's awesome. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. But if there's, you know, 6,000 and they're not there to see you, it can be a real challenge. I mean, I did about 30 minutes in front of Jeff Foxworthy, and I felt like the first 10, I was like trying to get the audience on board with what I was doing. And then I did get them, and then it, you know, became really fun. But it's like, I wasn't really worried about it because I'm at a place where I'm like, I'm confident in what I do. Mm. The the Coming to LA, it makes me the most nervous, I think. And I don't know why, but I did the improv on Wednesday and I just, I had a great set, but I was just so weird about it the whole time. I'm just, th and I just feel like that people are not going to relate to my material. When I shouldn't think of it that way, I should think of it as this is something different that they've not heard. Mm, okay. Instead of being like, I bet they can't relate to this. I see. I just want everyone to know what I'm talking about. And then if you are like trying to get a crowd on board with you and you have prepared material, do you switch gears? Do you stick with what you're doing? Do you deliver it differently? Like that's gotta be a little nerve wracking too. But you realize that mid set and you're like, shoot, I gotta get these folks back. Yeah, if I'm doing a shorter set, I, can, I got plenty of material to switch up, but if I'm doing a longer set, what I'll do, especially if I'm doing a weekend, um, I'll change the order throughout the weekend. 
if it's not going well. Like if I go out, if I'm doing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I go out on Thursday and it crushes, I'm like, all right, I like that order. I'm going to keep that. I may add in a joke here or there, but I, I like this order. But if I go out on Thursday and it doesn't do well, I'm like, okay, it's going to be fine, but let's switch some stuff up. Let's open with something different. Let's try to ease into some different stuff because I have some jokes that work great at the beginning, but some jokes uh, are best once the audience has got to know me a little bit. And I think that's the thing about getting famous, right? And, I, and I'm, I'm saying that I'm, I'm not famous, right? So, But getting famous, the audience now knows you. Like mm. coming out on stage, they already know you. I see. And I think sometimes that can make like the great comics less funny, right? Because, I I, and I don't know, this is just me figuring, but it's like when you come out and the audience is already, they like already know your story, they're on board with you, they're, la they're like, oh yeah. It's like, uh, it's like a relative that you just know real well and they're real funny. Mm. But if that relative were to get up and do stand up for strangers, probably not very good. Well, that's something I've been thinking about a lot again, talking with comedians, is that it feels, I know it feels so great when you say something and then you get that laugh and that great reaction. And Yeah, nothing like it, really. Yeah, it's feel, even if I'm in a room of people and I say something that I either, you know, have this great line and a interaction and, and you feel the room kind of erupt a little bit in laughter, um, is that different or difficult then when it's your job and people come to a show and it's like, entertain me, make me laugh. They're ready for you to try. I think it is in the beginning, but it's like, no, that's that's what we're there for. So it's like, I like that. I, I used to like opening for people because, uh, especially if they don't know me at all, it is part of the challenge. And it is a lot of the fun where it's like, all right, the audience doesn't know me at all. So I'm about to go out there and win over all this audience. Mm -hmm. I'm about to take people from not knowing me at all, probably thinking I'm not going to be funny, to to crush in the room. That's got to be great. Yeah, and then when you move to headliner, you're like, all right, now the I'm on the poster, my name's out there. The expectation is that I'll be funny. Whereas if you're an unknown feature, kind of the expectation is that you won't be funny. Oh, but when you're the headliner, it's like, all right, you are funny. better be. <laughs> so there's a new pressure. But I just think as time goes on, you just learn that flow. And and now I, I prefer that. I, I like the headlining spot. I like being able to roll out, kind of mess around for a minute before getting right into a set. Was it like you making jokes with friends as your intro to comedy and saying, I want to do this as a career? What was your intro? Well, I mean, I've definitely always been that. I've always been trying to make everyone around me laugh. That's the interesting thing about comedy for me is it helped me to be like, I'm, I don't even know that I'm that funny in normal situations now unless I'm with my friends. Because I feel like I've got that outlet now where mm. I do have my spot to go be funny. Okay. So I don't need to be funny all the time. It's almost like there's this need in me to get laughs, mm. right? So, but now I have this outlet where I get to go make hundreds of people laugh a night. Uh, so I don't have to try to make everyone in my life laugh. Yeah. Like if we go to dinner, I'm not like joke, 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 unless we're friends. And then maybe I am. Yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah, Jared Free, he'll say he'll match with someone on a dating app and they'll say, are you funny? And he's like, I don't know. You know, you tell me. It's like, even if you're a comedian, doesn't mean that you have to be funny all the time. Yes. Yeah, and it's like, I don't know, it's a better quality of life, I think, to not feel like you need to be funny all the time. But that's how I felt all growing up. I was mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I, I would 
the first day of school, I would walk into my new, you know, my new class, whoever it would be. And I would, I would see people and I would be excited if certain girls were in there because I'm like, oh, I'm going to be making them laugh all year. I mean, it, that's my thought in my head. Uh-huh. And that was always fun. But now I'm like, oh, no, come see the show if you want me to make you laugh. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you got to pay for it now. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I may be funny, but yeah. Uh, yeah, come, come. Yeah, I've been writing them. Come, come pay for it. <laughs> yeah. So was it um, open mics or what was your introduction when you, again, kind of realized that was your thing? You love making people laugh when you're like, I'm going to go for this a little bit. Well, I never thought that I could do it as a job. It never crossed my mind that comedy could be a job. I didn't, I knew there were comedians, but I didn't know how they were doing it. And I didn't even think that that was a thing that I would ever be able to get into. So but I moved to Charleston, South Carolina, and I took some improv classes just for fun. I didn't know anybody, and I thought, well, this will be fun. I'll just do some stuff on stage. And then from there, I started uh, meeting people, and I, I got into – and we had no stand-up comedy scene, but we had a little bit of comedy happening. So I kind of got into it slowly through that. But even – you know, I did comedy for – probably four years uh, before thinking that this could actually be a way for me to make money. Mm. Even though I didn't know how I would do it, I thought, well, you know, I had won a contest. I won $1,000 in a contest. And I thought, all right, I could do this. And then, um, and then I won that same contest again the next year. And then I was no longer allowed to compete in the competition. <laughs> uh, and then so I moved to Nashville and started figuring out how to work the road and then, you know, uh, was making some money, but wasn't sure how this was going to be a living. Mm -hmm. But I just thought, you know, I'm working the road. I'm making this amount of money. Uh, I figure the headliner's making this amount of money. If I can just get to headlining, because what a lot of people don't realize is that there's a whole world of people making a living doing comedy that no one's ever heard of. Like oh. people that are not famous at all are out there working the cruise ships, working casinos, working gigs, all over the, doing corporate events, all over the country, probably the world, but especially all over the country, uh, that make a living doing comedy that no one's ever heard of. Ah. So I thought, if I could just do that, then that's better than working the jobs that I've been working. Mm -hmm. So if I can just make a living doing this, I don't care about fame at all. But, you know, then I would, you know, I'd get into, but, you know, it's it's hard to get moved up to headliner. Even if you're really good, it's hard to get moved up. So you start doing other things. I started doing comedy festivals and stuff like that to try to get in front of the industry people. And then that's what happened for me. I did a Laughing Skull Festival in Atlanta. I, I met, you know, it's a, it's, it's a longer story. I did Bridgetown in Portland and, and then met some people from JFL just for laughs. But then a year later, they saw me again in Atlanta, and I was invited to do JFL. Um, so I did I did that, and then two weeks later, I did The Tonight Show, and then I got management agents. And, uh, and then my manager said, uh, how much do you want to work? And I had never been asked that before, and I was like, I don't know, just fill the calendar. And uh, since that time, it's been full. Wow. And what year was that? That was 2018. So, okay, wow. So mid-2018. So since then, I've worked just about every weekend. Wow. With the exception of, you know, some time off for COVID and yeah, uh, I ruptured my appendix. Okay, but, uh, wow. Okay. It's all good. We're but, fine. <laughs> we're good now. We're in a yeah. band. Yeah. 
in uh, 100 degree weather now. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like it. What was the what was the late night show back in 2018? I did Jimmy Kimmel first. Is that the one here on this street or no? It is on Hollywood Boulevard okay. here. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I did Jimmy Kimmel on my own. I I when when I did Bridgetown in Portland 2017, I met people from JFL. And they invited me to audition for Just for Laughs Unwrapped. But I had a manager at the time, different than what I have now, and they didn't realize that. So they were like, oh, okay, well, you can't do Unwrapped. And they were going to fly me to New York. Ah. Um, so um, I, I said, well, I can't do it. And they were like, well, you can, you can audition for Repped, but we won't fly you here. You have to get yourself here. So I was like, okay, well, I'll still do it. So I drove to New York and uh, went up, did the audition, didn't get the audition, but the booker for Jimmy Kimmel was there and she booked me for his late night. So I did that. And then, you know, later in the year I did Laughing Skull Festival. And then my first, my first set that went really well was uh, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Okay. I did, and that, I did that in 2018. And then again in 2019 and then nothing in 2020 and then again in 2021. Wow, that's got to be like a whirlwind. It's amazing. <laughs> that's I mean, incredible. doing Jimmy Kimmel was really great. And the and the uh, the girl that booked that, Hannah Kyle Crichton was her name and she uh was really great, really hooked me up, gave me my first late night spot. Um and then but but the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon really took it to a new level for mm -hmm. me. But I it, it was a, a you know, different things. I knew how to prepare better. And ultimately, I think Jimmy Fallon's setup for stand-up is better than Jimmy Kimmel's. Oh, okay. I just, and maybe Jimmy Kimmel has changed at this point, but both very nice to me. But yeah. It just wasn't as good of a setup. Okay. The Tonight Show, classic show, been around forever. It's incredible when you hear somebody, you know, doing something for so long. You've been doing comedy for how many years now? I, I started uh, really messing around with it in 2008. Okay. And then I, I quit drinking in 2012 and started taking comedy more seriously. So even then, that's 10 years, but probably more like, I don't know, 14, what is it, 2022? 2020. Yeah, yeah, so <laughs> I don't know how many years that is. But when someone can grind and do something for that long and then you really do see the payoff when you put in your whole heart into something and yeah, work totally. at it. That's amazing. Well, it's like, you know, you just got to keep... Uh, well, you got to have a good plan, you know, and, okay. and, and not necessarily, I always like to say that I don't really set goals and I don't in the sense of like, I'm not like, all right, I'm going to be a, a stand-up comic by this year and I'm going to have this done. I'm going to have this done, you know, but I do say, well, I want to do comedy. Comedy is what I want to do. So how do I work to get it? I, and maybe that is setting a goal. But I just feel like sometimes people set goals and then they don't allow themselves for change. Like maybe you, this is what you wanted to do, but along that journey, you found something else that you wanted to do more. Uh, but, but, but you're like, no, I've already set this goal. So I got it. So you keep striving for a goal that you maybe don't even want anymore. Or if you don't reach it, you beat yourself up about it. And I'm like, there's plenty of room to want to do things and not achieve it and that be okay. Mm -hmm. And find so I knew a guy one time, he moved to Chicago to pursue comedy. And then he ended up working at a brewery giving uh, tours for a brewery. And he seemed so happy doing this job. But when I was hanging with him, he seemed almost apologetic in a way that like, like that he wasn't doing comedy anymore. And I'm like, dude, 
you moved here in pursuit of comedy, but you found something that you like to do and that's okay. And it's like, you know, if comedy ever becomes a thing that's not fun for me, then maybe I don't do it anymore. Yeah, or along the journey, you find yeah. something even better for yourself. Right. On the way down here to L.A., I was listening to your podcast. You have an amazing podcast. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you're it. You're an amazing storyteller. But oh, you're, thank you. You're sitting in a hotel by yourself just captivating me for an hour on the way. To, oh, awesome. Well, I appreciate um, that. And and something that I, this leads me perfect to ask you about goals and aspirations and things. And I think something that I think would be a really cool thing for people to hear, if you're willing to share about the really unique and awesome lens that you're able to view goals and plans and things like that is when you're talking about through the lens of spirituality. Yeah, well, you know, it's like people uh, often talk about, um, you know, coming to God and, and what happened when they came to God and their life changed. And it's like, I've basically always been a Christian, you know, as long as I can remember. But in 2012, when I quit drinking, I really had an awakening in a sense of starting to take it more seriously. There's a Bible verse in Isaiah that says, if ye be willing and obedient, you will eat from the good of the land. And I always just thought, wow, that's so interesting, just the idea of of being obedient to God. I feel like that so often modern day Christianity is just preaches this forgiveness, which I believe in. And, and thankfully, we have forgiveness because I would be in a lot of trouble if not, you know, but you know, I feel like sometimes that message we lose, you know, obedience, right? And so I just got into that more. I started to read the Bible in a new way and reading the Old Testament in a way that felt like it applied to me as as opposed to in times past where I would read it and I would go, ooh, that's scary. Good thing I don't have to do that anymore, <laughs> right? And, and, and since I've been on that journey of not drinking and not doing that, I just feel like it's just been this journey of where I'm just not really worried about things. I mean, when I ruptured my appendix, that was pretty scary. When I had a baby, that was pretty scary. Um, but, you know, I just feel like I'm on this journey where I'm like, uh, I don't know. I feel like as long as I'm, I'm walking a path that God would want me to walk, then I'm not concerned about what lies ahead because I'm like, it's, it's already paved out. So it's going to be, it's going to be what it's going to be. And God is going to look out for me. You know what I mean? Yes. And and it's just like, um, so I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question, but I just, I just don't worry. That's why goals are not as important to me because mm -hmm. I just don't really worry about the future because mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, I mean, somebody listening to my podcast long enough may say, well, you're always, you know, you're talking about, uh, you know, building a cabin in the woods in case the world collapses. And I'm like, well, uh, I'm not worried, <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with planning ahead. Yeah. You know I mean, well, that's the thing. Sometimes people mistake faith in God for not having to meet him halfway and put in work yourself. Right. You know, right. It's like, you know, when you think about, you know, like um, even when the Jews go into Egypt, right, Joseph is there and, and Joseph, I don't remember if Joseph had the dream or if he interpreted the king's dream. Uh, but either way, it led them to go, all right, let's store up some grains mm -hmm. because a drought is coming, a famine is coming. And so they stored up these grains and then they were able to save, uh, you know, Egypt and, you know, all of, I, I guess, save the Jews. I mean, ultimately that ended up with them in slavery, but it did save them. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, because they did get out of it. But I mean, the point is, 
God all the time is like, all right, you know, get ready. There's some stuff coming. Prepare yourself. Okay. But don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. I got it. But also, you know, be prepared. This is like off topic, but not really off topic. But when I was coming more into my faith in 2014, I would say, uh, something that really I had not wrestled with, but had a curiosity, a thought about was that, you know, if if God is all powerful and mighty in which he is and knows what's going to happen, do we have autonomy over our lives to begin with? And I came to the realization that not only do we have autonomy, it's just God being all powerful, knowing what's going to happen, but you still have the free will to do what you want. But it is that obedience part of it too. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I was thinking about free will the other day and I just, uh, I had this thought and I don't know, people will probably not like this thought, but you know, people, uh, always say, well, oh, God gives you free will and then he sends you to hell if you don't do what he wants you to do. And I thought, I thought, well, that's interesting because yeah, it is like God is saying, all right, either you do what I'm telling you to do or you go to hell, right? So it's like you choose God or you choose hell, but that is your free choice, Yes. right? And I mean, I don't believe there are multiple paths to God, right? But, but just because I don't believe it doesn't mean it's not so. Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I can't tell someone who grew up believing a certain thing that what they're believing is wrong. I don't know it to be true, but I'm just saying what I believe is, you know, you go to you go to God through Jesus. Right. So but, you know, I, so I, I can't sit here and go. That is the only way. But I believe it's, it's the only way. It's your faith and right. you're allowing people to do their thing too. And yeah, and I, and I always say, you know, people go, oh, out of all the religions, you believe that yours is the right one. And I'm like, well, if, if I didn't believe it, then it wouldn't make sense for me to want that to be my religion. Right? That's a great point. Right. Yeah. Why would I go, you know what? I think Buddhism is the way, but I'm going to stick with this Christianity. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Everybody's got to go towards something or nothing, but it's their choice right. in the matter, I guess. Yeah. And we all get a choice, yeah. you know, but I mean, for me, it's like, man, I've done so many stupid things in my life. I've wrecked cars. I got my, I got shot with a BB gun in the chest. The BB is still in me. Um, really? and, and it's like my cousin shot me when I was a little kid and it's still in my back. Um, oh my gosh. and it's just like, I just feel like I've been protected through all of these stupid things that, that if I come out on the other side of that, how do I not talk about it? How do yeah. I not feel like I've been protected? Mm -hmm. It's just all a matter of strange coincidences that these wild things have happened to me that could have killed me, but I'm virtually unharmed. I mean, up until the ruptured appendix, I had never really even been to the hospital. And I, you know, I, I feel like I deserve the ruptured appendix. I mean, I treated my body awful for, you know, 15 years with drinking and bad food and cigarettes and mm. various other things, you know? So I feel like I had it coming, but um, I don't know. I just feel like and, and then, you know, and I, and I wasn't even talking about it too much because I'm in entertainment and it just feels like it's not something that people talk about that much. And, um, but COVID hit and I just saw the whole world shut down. And I thought if everything that I've ever worked for can essentially be taken from me in an instant, uh, what am I doing not talking about it? If I believe that God is the ultimate all powerful God, 
Uh, I believe that he'll protect me in talking about him. And if he doesn't, you know, if I, you know, like uh, if I get killed, <laughs> right? Like, like so many people in the Bible have done. It's like, it's easy to go, oh, God will protect me. But then it's like, you know, uh, apparently all the disciples were killed. Paul was killed. Jesus obviously was killed. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I believe that they, you're then protected yeah. uh, when, the, when the lights go out. I mean, because that's what it's like about for me. It's like, there's a lot of scary things on earth, but one of the scariest things to me is like when, when, when you die and the lights go out, it's like, if the, if the atheist point of view is correct, then that's it. You, you're, you're just in the grave and it's over. But if that's wrong and like you wake up in the afterlife and suddenly there's God, it's like God is scarier than the devil in a lot of ways, right? Because God is perfect and suddenly you're faced with God and now you know he's real who you've believed in this whole time and now you're face to face with him. And I just feel like that all of the sins that you were like, oh, I could, just couldn't stop doing them, you immediately feel guilt and go, I could have stopped doing them. I just didn't want to. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense. It but does. It does. And that's a very scary thought. It's if so it's scary. lights out type of thing, that's I'm like, I don't want that. <laughs> I mean, there's verses where it's like, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. You know, things like that where it's like, I do not want that to be me. And then there's yeah. verses where they talk about the outer darkness with the wailing and gnashing of teeth. People never like to hear these things. And I think that is what we need to hear where it's like, yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, it could be, uh, I mean, because I love all, all everyone, right? But it's like, um, uh, if you don't warn people about things that could be coming, do you really love them? I you heard know? someone say something like that one time. It was like, I love you, so I'm going to share this with you. You know, if I didn't, yeah. I wouldn't care about, you know? Yeah, and I'm not about forcing things. Yeah. That's why it's like my podcast, I just do it. I don't even really push my podcast all that much. I just do it, and if people listen, they listen, you know? And um, I'm not about forcing it on people, but I, I do like to share because I think it's fun. I've lived a wild life uh, in a lot of ways, and I've come out on the other side, and I'm just thankful. Yeah. And I just... I think the obedience part, a lot of times Christians will get upset with me because I'm basically saying, you know, well, you do need to do some things. And, um, but I just think ultimately it makes our lives better. I think God has written out a plan for us and he goes, here's some things, do these, don't do this. And if you, and if you uh, abstain from the things God says don't do, and if you do the things he says to do, then I just think your life's better and you're happier. Yeah, for sure. Do you think it comes out in your comedy? Do you ever talk about spirituality or do you think it's like just being yourself? You hope that people kind of are able to learn and hear your story through. Yeah, I mean, I never talk about it on stage uh, just because in the same sense, I'm like, I don't know. I, I want people to just enjoy my comedy, right? Yeah. No matter what your religion is, I want you to be able to come to see the show and just laugh and have a good time. Mm -hmm. And if you stumble upon my podcast, well, you may be in for, <laughs> you know, something that you weren't ready for, but uh, but maybe you were ready for it. You know? yeah. Maybe that's why you stumbled into it. That's amazing. Thanks for sharing that. It's really yeah. encouraging. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for asking about it. Yeah. I mean, it is something that uh, these days can be a little nerve wracking to talk about because people do seem pretty anti-Christian these days. Um, but Jesus said once, if the world hateth you, remember that it first hateth me, you know? Mm, okay. So, you know. When it comes to things like, you know, religion and politics, it's like, 
I just wish everybody would get along. It sounds so cheesy, but it's like, believe what you want. And then bottom line is if you're bringing your own faith or whatever morals you want to, if you're loving somebody, it's not really going to matter what side of the political spectrum you're on. Totally. I mean, in this same cabin in Lowell, Arkansas that I was just talking about, I stayed there once before with a friend of mine from Houston, and he is Muslim. And we we sat in that cabin and talked religion quite a bit. And it was a lot of fun. We didn't yell at each other. We didn't hate each other. I mean, he didn't become a Christian and I didn't become a Muslim, but we just talked to each other. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. One of my friends, best friends is Muslim too. And it's like, we get to chat about it and it's, you're curious, like I have a question and it's like, cool, let's talk about it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's like there is no reason to not be getting along with people. And it's like that's uh, even politics. It's like I do remember a time, you know, I'm not that old, but I remember a time when, you know, you could be you could be liberal or you could be conservative and just hang out and talk about it and disagree and maybe even argue a bit. But at the end of the day, you don't you're not mad at each other. Yeah. Yeah. My grandparents were opposites and they they joked all the time with each other. Oh, yeah. Had a good time. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just used your line there. Oh, yeah. No, that's great. You know, that's the funny thing, is it? Sometimes it does feel like I invented the phrase, we're having a good time, but but I didn't, you know? Oh, my gosh. I love that. Did you come up with that just one day? You're like, I think I'm going to say this thing. Well, me and my, my, me and my wife used to say stuff like that to each other. You know, when we were first dating, we would just, you know, we'd be like, we're having a good time or we have fun. You know, we would say stuff like that. And then we said it enough to where it started coming out on stage. And then, you know, you're doing a bad show somewhere and people aren't laughing. But but I you know, one of my fears is that the audience, when the show's not going well, will look at me and think that somehow my life is hinging on this show going well. They're like, oh, it's not going well for him. I bet he's not enjoying this. So that's why it's like for me to go. We're having a good time. Let's people know, hey, even if this show's not going well. I'm okay. Now, if they all are not going well, that's a different story, but I can handle a bad show. That's when you start to use it as a question instead of a a declaration. Right, Right. exactly. (laughs) And I also, I love, there's a lot of things I love to say. I like to, but you can only pull out some of them like once a show, but I love to say, is this going well? You know, I love to do that, (laughs) right? Like like mid-joke goes, is this going well? That's one of my favorite things yeah. to say. I don't know why. Break that wall down. <laughs> yeah, and just, yeah. Is this resonating with anybody yeah. out there? <laughs> yeah. I love that. I mean, and I love to, you know, go, oh, the energy really dipped. We really lost a lot. And when people go to the bathroom, I like to, you know, act as though they're walking out of the show. Yeah. Being up on stage and a, considering an attack happening on stage the other day, do you ever worry about stuff like that? Well, I feel like it really helps ticket sales, so I might use an attack. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I hear... I'll, I'll fake one with you tonight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like Chris Rock's tickets really spiked when he got attacked uh, by Will Smith. I mean, I couldn't... I could take a slap for an uptick in ticket sales. We'll, we'll pretend. I'll go up there. <laughs> yeah. Turn away. It'll be yeah. perfect. <laughs> now, it seems like Dave Chappelle, I mean, it seems like he's lucky. I guess the guy had a weapon. Yes. I don't want to get stabbed. Oh, my gosh. It's a miracle that he had the weapon and didn't use it. Yeah. Because he has this crazy fake gun with a knife, a real knife on it. Yeah. So I don't know. But I I never really worried about that. I mean, I've yeah. been in some, I came up in a, doing a lot of crappy venues where it's like, uh, you know, the, the threat of uh, attack was real. 
Yeah, really? but you just over jokes they don't like or or just in general, people just you know I was in an up upper peninsula of Michigan, uh, Harris, Michigan at a casino, and there was like a big biker group in there, and it's like they were just like they wanted to be the show, so it was like. And there was no one going to kick them out. Mm. So I'm like, I'm just joking with them. And it's like, you know, you've, and I would make jokes with them about them ruining the show and they would laugh. And it's <laughs> like, I, and I would say, well, clearly no one's going to kick you out of here. So, <laughs> and it's like, you just go along with it because it's like, what am I going to do? Like threaten them? Yeah. No one's going to protect me. So I'm like, I'm not getting paid enough to make sure this show's going that yeah. well. So you just w work through it. I mean, I, I was in one place and I kept going back and forth with some audience members and I watched the club manager back out of the club. Like he's he's the only guy to deal with anything and he takes off. Oh, it was getting dicey or? Yeah. And he's like, I'm not helping you. <laughs> but it was, you know, at the end of the day, it's all fine. I, yeah. I, I don't really worry about it. But yeah. I also, my, I have good uh, management and agents now that they don't really put me in those positions. Yeah. So. Good. I'm glad I got sussed out and it <laughs> yeah. was a clear, yes. Bandcast is yeah, good I to mean, go. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, you <laughs> could kill me in a minute, but. I would say people say that at least once every episode. Yeah. <laughs> or I had uh, Zainab Johnson, she signs their picture. Uh, Thanks for not kidnapping me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we're on the streets of LA. I mean, you could kill me or I could get out of this van and get killed right out in the street. Who yeah. Knows? <laughs> make me feel better. You could kill me right now. Yeah. Let's well, just that make me feel true. better. That is true. <laughs> I could kill you. We could kill, you know, who knows? <laughs> crowd work, though, is that something you enjoy typically? I don't ever try to do crowd work. Okay. I never go out like I'd like to do crowd work. But yeah. if people, uh, you know, I, I, I like fun crowd work. Like if there's some audience member makes a noise, does something, I like to be aware of what's going on. I like to acknowledge things. But yeah, I don't like, like sometimes if a table is just talking to each other, that's one of my worst kind of uh, thing because it's like, then I have to become the teacher. Like mm -hmm. if the club won't take care of it, like sometimes I can just say a little something to them and then the club's on it. The best clubs are on it yeah. without you even having to say anything. For sure. Um, you know, or I hate a heckler that's really close to the stage because they can say things to me that the audience can't hear. So I can respond to it, but the audience doesn't know they're saying mm -hmm. that to me. Comedy is definitely a muscle because if you're like in a situation to have crowd work, like I always think of that when I'm like watching someone do crowd work. Uh, I'm like, gosh, their muscle to do, you know, improv is just so strong that they can pull something out and say it right there. Yeah. Do you think it comes from just your ability to, again, be good at storytelling and come up with thoughts and ideas on the fly, kind of? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's different for different people. I mean, there's a guy in Nashville that I know, Chance Willie, and he is one of the sharpest, quickest guys I've ever seen. I mean, it is amazing to me because I want to say that I think it just comes from, you know, for me, it comes from just doing comedy all the time, being on stage all the time. I just get used to it and I'm able to 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 do it pretty well. But Chance is probably not even doing, com well, he's definitely not doing comedy as much as me. I mean, he's in there, he's working it, but I'm doing comedy uh, more than most people probably. I'm on the road constantly. Um, and, you know, he is one of the sharpest people. So I don't know where it comes from. I mean, Jeff Ross was here. I just saw him. He's really great at, at crowd work and just roasting people. Yeah. I think it just depends on the person. I mean, there's, and it just goes back to what I was saying before. I mean, there's comics I've met on the road that no one's ever heard of and probably never will hear of them 
and they are like dynamite at crowd work. What's your writing process, by the way? I don't really sit down and write things anymore. If an idea comes to me that I really like, I'll just yeah. mark it down in my phone and I'll just try it on stage. And if it gets a laugh, then I'll try to expand on it. Okay. If it doesn't get a laugh, I may do it a few times, try to word it differently mm -hmm. to see what I can get out of it. And then if it never works, I'll just abandon it. Okay. And maybe come back to it later. I mean, I have a new closer that I'm doing now and there's a little joke within the larger joke that was something I wrote years ago that that it would always get a little bit of a laugh, but I never had a place for it. Mm -hmm. And now it's like it fits perfectly in this bit. So I never try to throw them away, but they may not just work, you know, just just yet. Okay, got it. But it's like I used to sit down and write word for word. I would write everything word for word and try to go up and just say it that way. But what I found, at least for me, is I'm better at writing on stage as long as I have an idea. I, I, I'm not good at just winging it, but as long as I have an idea of what I'm going to say, I can throw a new joke right in the middle and try to work it, and then I just have a good memory for remembering how I said it, and, and then I'll just try to work it from there. But um, I used to write it word for word, and then I would go up, and if the joke didn't work, I had a hard time changing the wording because I, in my mind, I'm like, no, this is the funniest way. I, again, not a comedian, but, you know, seeing your passion for it and seeing other people doing it and loving it, I'm like, gosh, I would love to try, like, an open mic night. And suck at it, but like still try for the fun of it. <laughs> you should try it. You should try it just for fun. Yeah. I mean, open mics, uh, depending on where you go, I mean, they're the worst. Really? It can really be awful. And <laughs> make you feel bad? Yeah. Where it's like, I know people that are very successful in other areas of life. And then they decide that they want to try comedy. And then they'll be pretty funny or whatever, or maybe not funny at all, but they basically are failing at comedy. Mm. And it feels like it takes a toll on them in a way that they feel like somehow they're not good enough now. And I'm like, I'm like, you're already successful. Just because you're not successful in this new thing doesn't, it means nothing. You tried something, it didn't work, move on. You all, I mean, I know a guy that's a doctor, I know a guy that's an architect that never, their comedy, it always made me laugh, but it never really took off in any kind of way. And it felt like they were really beating themselves up. And I'm like, dude, you're, you're fine. You're still making more money than everybody in the open mic. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You have a, you have a wife, you have Trying. a family, just, right. just enjoy yourself. Yeah. It's like, again, I would try it, not doing it to try to get famous or whatever would make money, but just to like, see what it's like. Have a, I like trying stuff once just to say I did it. Yeah. See what the experience is like. Yeah, absolutely. You got some podcast content then, you know? That's can true be too. Like, I did stand up last right? night. I like doing stuff like that in life where you just do stuff because you know you'll have a story at the end of it. Yeah. Nothing dangerous or crazy, but like I would go to this, I'll go to a thing that I didn't want to go to because I know I'll see people that I like or meet new people. Yeah. Even if you're tired a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, when I do something like this festival, right, there's always parties, and I don't drink, so I hate I hate going to parties, right, because I don't drink, and it's like, drinking really can loosen you up, even if you're not an alcoholic. One or two drinks can loosen you up, and you can talk, but I'll, I'll force myself to go, 
And then I'm like, oh, I'm glad I can. Yeah, yeah. I'll see people I know and we'll talk. And I'm like, actually, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it's like, and you get it maybe to network too a little bit. You never know who's there yeah. type of deal. Yeah, the first, when I was in Bridgetown in Portland, that's the first time I'd ever been to a state with legal weed, I think. And, uh, you know, and I, I like to get into weed a little bit. I, I don't do too much of it, but I, I, but I'd never been in a state where it was legal. So I thought, this is fun. So I went and bought some and, you know, after my shows, I would try to have a little and go to the after parties. And depending on the weed, it hits you differently. Like one time I hit it and I was like, oh, I'm, and I'm very social. I'm feeling good. But I remember one night my shows were done. I was like, I'm going to hit this weed and I'm going to go to the after party. And I hit it a couple of times. It hit me in a weird way. I remember I walked into the party. I made one complete circle through the party, walked out the door, Ubered back to my hotel. <laughs> I was like, I can't do it. What were you, what were you feeling? I don't know. There's no way. <laughs> to describe it uh, only people that have been high and known how it's like i can only relate it to what people say about anxiety right yeah. like i don't really get anxiety but from what people tell me that's how i feel when i'm too high I'm okay high. it's like if i go to a party and i'm completely sober i could hang out in the corner and be fine yeah. i don't even care if no one comes up to talk to me i'm purposely i mean I'm, I'm i'm perfectly capable of entertaining myself hmm. but if i'm high and i'm in the corner i'm like oh man you're in the corner you're looking like a loser over here <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. i'm like you better get out of here <laughs> you better go talk to somebody or just go home what are you doing <laughs> you, know? you get in your head <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that's hilarious um but then oh my gosh there's like this guy moving a dumpster behind oh, the yeah. van i saw him doing it earlier and i was setting the tv up and i'm like he's about to run into the van right now now he knows what he's doing. <laughs> That'd be quite the podcast content if the van got hit. I was making food here one time in L.A. I was visiting some friends, and I'm making food parked in a perfectly quiet street, and suddenly somebody backed up into the van. Oh, no. And everything fell over, and I got jolted back. It was the craziest experience. It felt like you were in a car accident, but you're not driving anywhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. And I get out. And even, so I was for sure not driving because I had all the blinds up even. I get out and the guy is out of his car and he goes, did you just hit me? And I go, oh, uh-uh, don't even try to do that. I go, I got the curtains up. What are you talking about? <laughs> and I was like, uh, I don't think there's any damage. Can I like just, you know, get your insurance or whatever? And he, he just got insurance like that day. It was a really bizarre situation, but I was like, there's no damage. But I'm like always thinking about that when I'm sleeping. I don't want to wake up dead type of thing. Like if right. someone hits the van while I'm sleeping, it's a little scary, but unbelievable that the guy gets out and goes did you just hit me <laughs> yeah <laughs> unbelievable i'll never forget that I'm like yeah i did no um how much of your comedy would you say is uh based off of your hey based off of your life are they all based in reality would you yeah, say yeah i would say it's all based in reality i mean there you know some stuff's just observational things but if it's family stuff i mean it is based in reality yeah. it may not be uh, a joke may not even be true for the person I'm saying it is, mm. but it would be some character in my life. Got it. But it's like, I don't know, if I'm if I'm doing a set, sometimes it's like, you know, and I have a million characters, but if I could just, like I've put in several things on my mom. My mom loves to come see my comedy because most of the times I'm talking about my mom, it's not true <laughs> or it's an exaggeration. Okay. But she'll know who I'm talking about, but I've just put that on her. Oh, okay. And she's cool with that. Yeah, she doesn't care. <laughs> That's you awesome. Know. 
So you're also then really a country fan, a country music fan. I love country music, yeah. Do you have any favorite artists? Well, you know, there's a guy I've been listening to lately called Jesse Daniel. and I went uh, to high school with him. Oh, yeah? <laughs> He's from my town. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> You're kidding. Yeah. I just talked to him today on Instagram. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you'll have to tell him you did the van cast. Yeah. What the heck? I know. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, oh. I, I've been listening to his albums on Spotify. I really like them. Uh, we follow each other on Instagram. I don't really even know how that happened, but um, yeah, I think he's going to send me a hat. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. I was just showing my friend who I'm visiting down here from LA. We all went to high school together. I wasn't friends with Jesse, but I, we knew each other. Oh, yeah. And he was doing a like a homecoming show. He was on tour and he did a homecoming show in Santa Cruz and he played a song where from this small town, it's a valley called San Lorenzo Valley. And in the yeah. song, he goes, son of the San Lorenzo. And we're like, oh. oh I know that song, yeah. San Lorenzo Valley is where yeah. I'm from. <laughs> That's awesome. What a small world. Wow, that is crazy. <laughs> I've been following him on Instagram for a while, and I never really listened to his music. So I just went on Spotify the yeah. other day and pulled it up, and I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah. Um, I like him. You know, I like uh, basically all 90s country. And I feel yes. like Jesse has a good 90s country feel, mm -hmm. um, well, you know, and, you know, and I like, uh, you know, Coulter Wall. Love him. Um, you know, I like old Jason Isbell. I feel like he's gone in a bit of a different direction. He's a little more folky now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, but I like older, like, um, what was the one, I don't know, before the Nashville sound. Mm -hmm. I, I That was the album where I was like, I kind of... But everything before that, really great. Love it. Okay. Yeah. Um, who was the guy? He has this song called Little Feathered Indians or something. Tyler Childers. Tyler, yeah, really great. Love I was going to ask you if you liked him. Yeah. <laughs> really great stuff. And there is another guy, Paul Cawthon or Paul. Mm. Uh, he has a song called like My Gospel or something like that. But okay. I don't think it's religious at all. Yeah. A lot of these guys will get a little, uh, they'll make comments or get a little anti-religious for me where I'm mm. like, it feels like it's uh, trying to push back on classic uh, country type stuff. So I still like the music. I love that. Yeah. And Jesse, Jesse Daniels, an amazing story too. I don't know if you know much of his backstory at all. No, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I think he's quite open about it, but he wasn't doing country music. He was like a rocker. Okay. Um, and then, uh, I think, yeah, just had some tough times in life and got sober and started doing country music wow. and he's killing it. It's amazing. Classic Alan Jackson song. He's gone country. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, you know, it's like California, you know, is really known for a uh, good country. I mean, uh, Merle Haggard is a uh, California. I mean, I guess he's originally from Oklahoma maybe, but, uh, okay. uh, but I think he, you know, he lived in California, got his start in California. I don't know. He talks about being an Okie from Muskogee and his dad was a, was that song was based on his dad. Okay. So I thought he maybe was born there, but I don't yeah. know. Proud to be. Um, yeah. That was my introduction to country. Me and my dad would drive around in his old beater pickup truck listening to the Merle Haggard Greatest Hits cassette over and oh, over. Oh, yeah. That's it. I mean, Merle Haggard's amazing. Yeah. I mean, the, the old stuff, I, I mean, I like 90s country as a, as a whole, but like Merle Haggard is, um, it's unbelievable. Oh, my gosh. Do you have a favorite song? <laughs> Um, it, you know, it would be hard, but I think there's an album called, um, uh, back to the bar rooms and he has a song called Leonard on there. That oh yeah. I really like a lot. Yeah. It's about his friend who passed away, right? Yeah. It was, it's, it's about a guy, I guess his name was, um, I forget his name wasn't Leonard, but Leonard was, a. I I guess his name was Leonard and he just, uh, I guess it was Tom Collins. 
Tommy Collins was the guy he wrote it about. And I don't know if he died or not, but he just kind of wrote a song about him. And it's, I don't know, I just I heard it one day on YouTube and then I went and bought the album back to the bar rooms. And it's like, it's hard to say with Merle Haggard, right? Because it's like, there's all of these amazing songs, Fight Inside of Me, um, um, on on my Netflix, I had the my intro song was Working Man's Blues. Yeah. So these were all songs that I listened to my entire life. And then I, as an adult, I hear the song Leonard and I'm like, oh, I love this song. And I'm like, this is like, uh, this is like my favorite. But I'm like, is it better than, um, you know, I think I'll just stay here and drink, love you know? Yeah, I, I doubt it. Okay. But it's like I, I spent so much time listening to I think I'll just stay here and drink that it doesn't have the same impact now. Uh-huh. I haven't listened to Leonard, you know, a million times like I have some of the others. Yeah, I just well, I think I'll just sit here and drink. There's like not that many words and it's just love the jam and in that song. Yeah, it's such a jam. And, yeah. and Merle Haggard always has a lot of jams in there, yeah. horns and different things that that uh, a lot of country, especially new country, it's just new country is so disappointing to me. Now, new mainstream country, obviously, okay. but it's like it's so disappointing to me. There's there's no steel guitar. There's no fiddle. Mm-hmm. Uh, rare. I went to the uh, the uh, what is it in Vegas? They had an award ceremony, ACMs. OK. And I got oh. to go to that. And it was super it's fun new. to go. Mm-hmm. But it's like the best was Chris Stapleton. And 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 I I feel like I get a little worn out on Chris Stapleton, but the best thing was it's like I don't know he just did a good song he had a real jam and everybody else it felt like you're like you know mild rock stars I'm not saying they're bad musicians I'm not mm-hmm. saying the music they're doing is bad but it's just not country to me sure right is his song um, you should probably leave is that country to you I don't know that I've heard that one the okay. one he did was a song he wrote about. Um, the guy who shot people in Vegas at a country award show. Oh, I didn't, I don't know that song. I, I don't know it either, but he yeah. just performed it and it was, you know, wow, you know, about this guy. Okay. And uh, it was, it was pretty powerful. And then uh, Kelly Clarkson sang uh, I Will Always Love You by Dolly Parton, mm-hmm. but basically sang the Whitney Houston version. And it was very good. Mm-hmm. And Dolly Parton was the host, but it was like overall, I don't know. I do the Opry a lot. I was going to ask you about that. That's incredible. Yeah. That's a big deal. <laughs> it is. It's so great to get to do the Opry. I've done it, I don't know, close to 20 times now. What the heck? <laughs> and it, Yeah, I know. It's amazing. And and I see a lot of people that come through there. I just met Clint Black not too long ago. And, and I see a lot of people come through there that are really good. And then I also see people coming through and I'm like, you're you're obviously a talented musician, but it's just not country to me. Okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like maybe that that has been throughout the entire history of you know it's like I've heard people say that in the time when Ronnie Millsap came out that they didn't really consider Ronnie Millsap country. Oh, interesting. You know, but now enough times pass where we look back and we go, well, obviously this is country. Yeah. But like you know, um, apparently the Charlie, uh, uh, who was it? Charlie. Now I can't think of not Charlie Daniels, but Charlie. I don't know, but he. Uh, John Denver won like artist of the year and Charlie burned the card. He lit the card on fire but in protest of saying that John Denver wasn't country. I wonder who that is. I'm... It's uh he's saying um um but when do you let no wait what is it behind closed doors? Who sing, what's the song called? Behind closed doors. Who sings behind closed doors? 
Matt Siri. I don't know why I can't think of his last Matt, name. Matt Fischel? Oh, uh, no. That's not They're it. trying to steal it from Yeah, you. yeah. Let's look it up. Yeah, it's going to bug me. I can find it. But I'm glad that you are a country fan. I mean, country music's the best. Yeah. I mean, I like all kinds of music, but I always say my second favorite music is um, um, classic rock. Right? Okay. Because I'm like, that's as close as you can get. Charlie Rich. Oh, okay. That's Got as it. close as you can get to country. Okay. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like Leonard Skinner is not country, but it's like, it's what country would be if they just, you know, jammed it up a bit. Uh-huh. Leonard Skinner, uh, everybody just, you know, it's like... They got they got six albums I think before Ronnie Van Zant died, mm-hmm. and it's like everybody knows the hits. But if you listen to those albums, I mean, it's full of great songs, and they're all really fun. A lot of people just think of them as this redneck band, and I'm like, they're so far from being that. Oh yeah, there's plenty of other redneck bands. Yeah, I mean, they <laughs> jam so. I mean, they're so good. Like, yeah, like they said that Ronnie Van Zant would make the band practice their jams. Wow. Instead of just going out, like, say, the Allman Brothers, it would just jam. Uh-huh. They would make them practice their solos. And I watched a documentary. They were saying Freebird, uh, originally, the jam in Freebird was to give Ronnie Van Zant an opportunity to rest his voice. And then it got longer and longer <laughs> and longer. Fantastic song. Yeah. We would listen to that every day before baseball practice oh, in yeah. the locker room. And now it's like stuck in my head perpetually. But it's oh, a good yeah. song to have stuck in your head. You know, the song that stays stuck in my head is Jason Isbell with the drive-by truckers, uh, the song called Outfit. Okay, I'll have to listen to that. And it just stays stuck in my head. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> so country and rock. You got a rock collection, I bet, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I do. Y'all watch I do the go, Netflix. Yeah, I do cool pick up rocks quite a bit. I do have, I do have quite a bit of rocks. <laughs> Tennessee's limestone everywhere in Nashville. So whenever they yeah. build new houses, they drill up and all these rocks come up. And I always go pick up rocks oh. for my flower beds at home. Oh, okay. That's yeah. smart. You're yeah. Is st- it stealing those rocks? <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm stealing. I don't know. From Mother Earth, I guess. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, they were just in the earth. They got dug up. I'm yeah. just giving them a new home. Yeah, exactly. Relocating. Yeah. You want to play a game? Yeah, sure. I got burning questions. Okay. This is a segment. This is the second time I've done this segment. I found these cards at Target, okay? Okay. And um, it was like, what does it say on the back? I should explain. I didn't really explain it last time. Uh, it just said, ever want to really get to know someone? That sounds a little weird, but they're superficial questions like, you know, do you consider yourself an introvert or extrovert? I had to take some cards out because I was going through the deck and it's like, who in this room do you want to kiss? And I'm like, that's not really for That'd the be show. A question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's not a good Vancast question. Right. <laughs> um, so burning questions. Feel free to pick a card and uh All right. Well, I'll just go, I'll I'll just, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna fan them out for you. All right. Oh yeah. All right. I'll go right here. Boom. What do we got? What is your definition of a perfect life? Um, well, that's interesting, but I, I think that, uh, the perfect life is, uh, you know, uh, doing, I mean, it's like, we all have to have a job, right? So it's like, you got to work. There's no way to escape it unless you're homeless. And that doesn't seem like the perfect life. So I think finding a thing that you like to do, finding a partner that you want to be with. And, and honestly, I never would have said this till about a year ago, but having a baby, um, and then you have your family and you have a job that you enjoy. I think that's the perfect life. It has nothing to do with things, uh, or money. I mean, obviously you need money to live. You need a house. You need, you need in this day and age, you need a car, but it's like the perfect life is having a job that you enjoy and a family to share your life with. 
it's amazing the simple things yeah i love that yeah things can get complicated in this life yeah it's like my, i used to sell pesticides and i talk about it all the time but my biggest problem with the job wasn't the job itself it's like i hated my boss for a long time mm. i uh, hated the way the company treated us it wasn't the job itself the job itself wasn't a bad job grass is sometimes greener yeah <laughs> i don't i do have someone that's picking me up at, th oh, at three Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I, uh... And I feel like I've sweated a bit. I, I want to let you get ready for your show. Can yeah. I ask you one last... Yes, you can. ...bandcast-related question? Yes. The thing I always ask. Okay. I hate to keep you here longer. No, this is great. <laughs> no, I, I just am... I'm Very just, brief. Yes. I could turn the heater on if you want. Really crank it up. Well, yeah, I mean, let's go all in. You know what I mean? We got the walls for a sauna. Let's go all in. <laughs> it feels like a sauna in here, everybody. Um, someone asks you... I want to do comedy. I want to do that as a job. I want to make that my career. Do you get that question? And what do you tell those folks? Well, I did a podcast. I did uh, my podcast is called the We're Having a Good Time podcast. And in season two, episode one through 10, I did 10 episodes on how to become a comic. Um, but I, I just think if people say that's what they want to do, it's like, well, you know, just get ready to really work for it because there are shortcuts, right? The obvious shortcut is you know, become famous on Instagram or YouTube or TikTok, and you'll probably get booked somewhere. Um, but if you actually want to be a good comic, it's just going to take a long time. You just got to settle in. Uh, if you're married with a family, it's going to be hard because your family's not going to understand why you want to go out and do comedy every night at a bar for free uh, or for uh, why you want to travel out of town for 50 bucks. So it takes a long time. I mean, once you finally reach it, there actually is money to be made. And that's nice. But it's like it takes a long time. Um, but, I, you know, the you know, you just got to be honest with yourself. You got to go out. You got to do comedy. Um if it goes well, feel good about it, but keep working. If it doesn't go well, be honest with yourself, but don't beat yourself up, you mm -hmm. know? Just go, all right, that didn't go well. So, because it, it's like, I, I see comics that are not self-aware. They, they, they bomb and they go, crushed it. Or they, or they crush it and they go, ah, bombed. And neither of those are good. I think it's easier if you're harder on yourself, uh, it's easier to get better, but then you're never happy. You're always mad. You're always like, ah, oh, I could have did better. And it's like, you're always gonna feel like that. Every show, just about, you're gonna think, well, I could've, if I, I wish I'd have, I wish I'd have done this or done this. Um, but I just think being happy with what you're doing and just focus in and uh, know that it's gonna take a long time. Like years, long time. Yeah, yeah. If like, your heart's in it, go for it. Yeah, I mean, people wanna come out and they do comedy for six months and they're like, how do I start getting booked at clubs? And it's like, there are people that start getting booked at clubs at six months in, but chances are you're not going to get booked. You may get booked to do a showcase or something like that, but that I don't know that that's always good. You know, you let the club see you when you're not that good. Yeah. It's amazing to see you living that out, and nothing easy is really ever worth it anyway, right? That's true. <laughs> that is true. But um, I really want to thank you for coming on Nick's VanCast. Yeah. Uh, you got a fun show coming up tonight, right? Yeah, I'm at, at the, the improv. Hollywood Improv. I have uh, Brian Simpson, who did uh, the stand-ups with me. I have Laura Peak, who lives here, who's a friend from Nashville. Uh, Amy Silverberg, who I did Just for Laughs with. And then David Spade is going to do the show. It's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, just congratulations on all your success. Yeah. Thanks Thank for you. sharing your insight. And I'm glad we got to connect and do this. I think we had a good time. We did have a good time. <laughs> yes, we did. Dusty Slay, everybody. All right. Thank you. Like I'm at the tippy top of my game, looking down at the rat. <laughs>
confidence. Come on now.